Hey, Real Talkers, you know, sometimes we plan our episodes weeks in advance, and sometimes they come together last minute as a story breaks. This episode, kind of a combo of both. After an armed gunman walks uninterrupted into Edmonton City Hall, opening fire, starting a fire before he's tackled by an unarmed security guard. We talked to Edmonton Mayor Amarjeet Sohi, Edmonton Councillor Tim Cartmel. They were there. What was their firsthand experience and how are they wrapping their minds around it? And then an interview we've had on the books for quite some time. Democracy under threat, argues political scientist Dr. Jared Wesley and Press Progress editor Luke Lebrun on that federal court ruling that Canadians' charter rights were violated when the feds invoked the Emergencies Act during the Ottawa occupation. We've got a lot of ground to cover. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. A worst nightmare type situation uh, in our home city, Edmonton, right at City Hall. The afternoon after we've wrapped up our episode of Real Talk, this was just yesterday, if you're listening live, January 23rd, Good morning. It's January 24th, and we're still wrapping our minds around an armed gunman walking unhindered into Edmonton's City Hall with the mayor and councillors there. Meetings going on. A grade one class, elementary school students there as a gunman opens fire, shattering glass, deploying a Molotov cocktail, ultimately detained by a hero, an unarmed commissionaire, a security guard, until police could get on scene to make that arrest. With charges pending, the city of Edmonton now wrapping its mind around what could have been an absolute disaster. In just a second, we'll speak with Edmonton's mayor. We'll then talk to an Edmonton city councillor, Tim Cartmel. What is the answer here? What is the appropriate response? What is the message to the average citizen and to those that might be looking at the supercharged nature of politics today? and wondering how society needs to reflect and perhaps better protect its politicians. This conversation is presented by the team at Verifiable Credentials. If you've been paying attention to headlines across the country over the past year or so, you know that credential fraud is on the rise. Whether it's nurses or oil patch workers, personal support workers, fake credentials are putting people's personal safety at risk. Luckily, there's an innovative technology that's making credential fraud a thing of the past. Digital verifiable credentials are secure cloud-based credentials that go way beyond traditional certificates and they can't be forged either. They're tamper-proof, they're independently verifiable, they live in a digital wallet and they can be shared from anywhere. And with We Know Training, they can plug seamlessly into your training courses. If you want to learn more about using verifiable credentials in your training or credentialing program, visit verifiablecredentials.ca. So it's business as usual on January 23rd at Edmonton City Hall until this happens. Risk as well that we need to continue to work on. Okay. Uh, so let's have that conversation, right? And yeah, uh, we'll follow up, follow up, follow up on of, of nine. You can hear that voice. Close the doors as people snap into action. That was the voice of Edmonton's mayor, Amarjeet Sohi, you're hearing. He'll be joining us in 30 seconds. 
As police arrive on scene as an arrest is made, unbelievably no injuries, let alone fatalities, Edmonton's police chief Dale McPhee addresses the city. At approximately 10.25 this morning, the Edmonton Police Service received reports of shots fired at City Hall. Within minutes, officers arrived and took one adult male into custody. We believe this individual acted alone. The suspect entered City Hall through the parkade. He then proceeded through City Hall with a firearm firing multiple shots and shattering glass within the building. In addition to the firearm, the suspect was heavily armed with several handled incendiary devices, which we believe to be Molotov cocktails, causing one small fire outside of an elevator. EPS members and City Hall security responded within minutes, putting the building on lockdown and determined the suspect. It is also worth noting that it's an unarmed commissioner that initially detained this individual. His actions were above and beyond, and for that we are grateful while the officers got there. And bomb unit cleared City Hall to confirm there were no injuries or casualties. Edmonton's Mayor Amarjeet Sohi joining us live. Uh, Mayor, obviously uh, a, a remarkable circumstance, a tragedy averted, but I would imagine nobody's feeling normal this morning. How are you wrapping your mind around what happened yesterday? How are you doing? Well, first of all, Ryan, thank you so much for having me. We are uh, uh, going to grapple with this uh, this situation uh, as uh, effectively as we can. It's uh, it's a terrifying, terrifying situation, something that you would do not expect to be uh, happening anywhere in the city, let alone uh, in a place where uh, uh, decisions are made, and uh, which is a community place where people gather, work, and uh, uh, come to engage with city council. So, uh, you know, we're going to assess the situation, but I want to assure everyone, everyone listening to your show, that uh, the people who have been impacted by this uh, traumatic event, particularly those who work at City Hall, whether they're uh, political staff, whether they are city administration and uh, city, city city clerk's office, anyone uh, that uh, uh, we hear uh, your pain, we hear your trauma and support is available for you uh, through our employee services. Please access that support and uh, continue to support each other. It's uh, remarkable audio and video, but maybe you can shine some light on to us on, on exactly what was happening. You're, you're chairing a meeting. Uh, there's shots fired, I would imagine. I won't put words in your mouth that mm-hmm. you didn't know, you didn't guess it was gunfire. Uh, what did you think was happening? Uh, and, and tell us about those first few moments mm-hmm. after those shots yeah. were fired. So we were in the middle of the meeting and I was asking questions to our city manager about how we are preparing for uh, a dry season uh, because we haven't seen much snow this year. Uh, province is preparing for uh, dry season. So I was asking, how are we preparing to protect our river valley? And all of a sudden I heard three loud bang uh, uh, noises and I paused for a bit and didn't think much of it because you know sometimes you see uh, disturbances at City Hall. I thought maybe uh, it is one of those uh, those incidents. Then we heard further, further noise. That's when one of the commissioners walked in and uh, uh, told us that there was uh, an active shooter uh, in, in City Hall and the doors were, uh, were locked and our city clerk, uh, uh, I want to commend her, uh, took control of the situation, uh, kept ev- everyone in calm. And within seconds, we were told that uh, the person has been apprehended uh, and uh, and that things were under control. So that was a relief to know. It was shocking, absolutely shocking. But how quickly uh, 
the city security, uh, the commissioners acted and uh, the God handle of the situation was also a relief. Can you give us a sense of, of what your first few moments and then and then the hours afterward were like for you? Was Is there a protective detail? What happens in, in a situation like this? No, we were directed to uh, the muster point uh, by the city clerk uh, and everyone followed, which is very, very important to follow those instructions and uh, and remain calm. And uh, then direction was given for uh, uh, city council members to uh, uh, go to a safe place, which we all did. Uh, and uh, then I've been working from home, uh, connecting with city clerk, my office, uh, sorry, a city manager, my office, uh, uh, trying to support each other, uh, staying in touch with council, uh, at the same time, making sure that we are uh, uh, supporting whichever way we can with, with the investigation. I I, I think, Ryan, is very, very important to uh, uh, tell Edmontonians that uh, the way the situation was handled by the commissioner, uh, how quickly EPS uh, showed up and the fire department showed up and uh, peace officers showed up. Uh, it was remarkable to see the rapid response to control the situation. I want to convey my deepest appreciation to everyone uh, who, who was uh, who was helping with that uh, that situation from city clerk to uh, uh, to security guards and, and EPS and fire and everyone else involved, as well as uh, uh, you know, how our city manager has been supporting uh, city staff impacted by it, uh, it and how he's, he's, he's been keeping us in the uh, in the loop. Uh, I understand that we'll you know, perhaps be receiving more details from Edmonton police, including charges laid here. What do you know, if anything, uh, about the alleged shooter? What do you know about any potential motivation? I think it is very important, Ryan, that uh, as politicians, we let uh, EPS do its work, uh, do the investigation and uh, and they can share the accurate information. I uh, people should not be <clears throat> speculating on the situation uh, uh, because we need to remain calm, and our city needs to uh, remain united and supportive of each other, and continue to uh, uh, exercise compassion and care toward each other, and uh, do not speculate on the situation and let. Uh, the, uh, the the EPS uh, do his work. My, my understanding is that many staff members and others were sheltering in place. Did you have a chance mm-hmm. to connect with them? And if so, what were those conversations like? Yes, we have remained in contact with uh, with my staff and other staff as well. And uh, uh, and my my uh, uh, chief of staff has been remained in touch and worked together with the city manager's office to uh, 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 you know uh, keep appraised of the. Uh, of the situation, uh, there were kids in uh, in uh, in city hall, and they were uh, uh, provided the right support. Uh, everyone acted together. Everyone absolutely supported each other, and uh, obviously there will be uh, a review of the security protocols uh, uh, once things uh, calm down a bit, and uh, we will uh, look at what precautionary measure needs to be taken in the future. Yeah, I want to ask you about that because it's it's. Uh, I mean, for the most part, members of the public can can walk. Uh, uninterrupted and unhindered right into City Hall. Um, I know that you have spoken on this in past as of other elected officials trying to balance the priority of safety of the mayor and counselors and staff, uh, as well as sort of that open access to the public, kind of the spirit 
of what a city hall and what council chambers are supposed to be all about. Now, there is obviously a medical de- or a metal detector if you want to walk into council chambers, but even that is staffed by a commissioner, an unarmed commissioner, one of them obviously an absolute hero, um, and I hope that they'll be recognized in some mm-hmm. way. Uh, maybe you can comment on that in just a little bit, but how are you reconciling this right now? Uh, um, really what comes across is, is maybe security measures that need to be improved while at the same time keeping that democratic town hall, that city hall, so to speak, open for people. I think it's a, it's our fundamental responsibility to make sure that people who work at City Hall, uh, and there's a lot of people who do work at City Hall, are are safe, that we are creating a, a safe work environment and also a, a creating safe environment for people to come to City Hall and engage uh, at the same time, keeping it as a community space, which it has always been a community space. So I think uh, we would have to strike that balance uh, uh, we will rely on professionals to um, uh, give us guidance how we can strike that balance. But it it is very important that uh, uh, that city hall uh, is is it remains an open, accessible space for everyone uh, to come in at the same time, uh, uh, making sure that people who work there have the comfort that they they can walk into their place and feel feel for their safety. Let me let me ask you about elected officials in particular. You know, you're you're advised to to leave the scene. I I suspect that's what you told yeah. us. Uh, you've got a team of security that gets you off the property and away from City Hall, and, and and you've got like a grade one class that's still there. You've got your council colleagues that are still there. Uh, do we need to look? I mean, and at this time, not even knowing the motivation of the shooter. Like we don't know, and it feels weird to stray, you know, to say this to your face, but like we don't know if they were there for you. We don't know if they were there for a counselor. We don't know if they were there because of mental illness. We don't know if they were there because for what I don't even want to start speculating and filling in the blanks. Mm-hmm. Do we need to start looking at whether or not more than just the mayor needs protective detail? Do we need to start looking at security details for counselors? Do we need to start looking at overhauling the entire structure of the system? Yeah. You know, Ryan, I really appreciate you stressing the point that we should not speculate on the on the motive because we don't know what the motive was. And uh and we will leave that to uh, uh, to the to, to the professionals to determine. It is also important that in a situation like this, that we uh, provide that uh, leadership, uh, uh, comforting the community coming from um, politician. But we also need to uh, step away from the actual management of these kind of crises because we don't have that expertise. It's the professionals that. Uh, have their expertise, so we follow the advice in which we did. I'm very appreciative of everyone, uh, uh, you know, relying on that information and and following the uh, uh, the, the, the the guidance. Uh, uh, as far as uh, I I I I think we have to revisit. We have to uh, uh, look at uh, the uh, uh, and how we create spaces that continue to be open and accessible. Continue to. Uh, provide that opportunity for engagement at the same time, uh, uh, making sure that uh, people who work in these places are protected, whether they're elected officials, whether they're political staff or other administrative staff in uh, in those buildings. Uh, Mayor, what can you tell us about this commissioner that stopped this, that potentially prevented fatalities? We know that this person is unarmed. Uh, can you give us some insight into who they are, how long they've been there, uh, and, and maybe what plans the city may have at this early stage in recognizing them or thanking them for what they did oh absolutely we will uh, definitely uh, 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 you know figure out a way to uh, recognize the bravery of uh, that particular individual as well as uh, 
other commissioners uh, and EPS and other uh, 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 frontline um, uh, 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 staff that uh, helped handle this uh, this situation. Uh, what I know is that uh, this commissioner uh, uh, is uh, uh, has worked at City Hall for a while and he knows City Hall really well. Uh, and uh, uh, there are other commissioners. I'm, I, you know, I, I also understand that uh, it has been a dramatic event for them as well. Right? Totally. And we need to, uh, we need to make sure that they're properly supported uh, uh, during this very difficult time. Uh, Mayor Sohi, I want to thank you for making time for us on, on a morning where I'm sure you're still wrapping your mind around what happened. I think it's safe to say that most people in the city of Edmonton and probably across the country are as well. I mean, I'm just thinking of that yeah. uh, class of kids that was down there and how this will impact them uh, likely for the rest of their lives. I want to thank you yeah, for making I, I, yourself You know, ahead. Ryan, it, it is okay. It is okay to feel anxiety. It is okay to feel that trauma. Uh, it has been a very traumatic event. Uh, so I want to assure Edmontonians that we will do what, what needs to be done to ensure that uh, that balance balance is uh, is struck uh, in and that we, that people continue to feel safe and uh, let's continue to support each other. These are very this is a very difficult time for our city and uh, for many people who work there. And let's continue to stand with each other, continue to show compassion for each other, continue to care for each other, and we will get through this uh, together. That's Edmonton Mayor Amarjeet Sohi. Thank you for your availability. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Another elected official that was there at City Hall as this happened is Edmonton Councillor Tim Cartmel. Uh, and everyone's story will be different on what the experience was like as, as we welcome him. Uh, the morning after, an armed gunman opens fire at Edmonton City Hall, blowing out glass windows, deploying a Molotov cocktail, ultimately detained by an unarmed security guard. Thank you, uh, Councillor Cartmel, uh, for joining us. Uh, just obviously i guess a number of hours after this all went down how are you feeling how are you wrapping your mind around this what can you tell us in these early stages i think we're all still processing just what happened yesterday um i was in my office uh at city hall i was attending the meeting uh virtually and uh and uh, yeah it was a pretty surreal experience i can sort of take you through what we were doing if you like yeah please yeah. So I was there with my staff. Uh, we were in, my, in our council office and, and for those, I think most have been to City Hall, but uh, the council offices are essentially positioned on the, technically on the third floor above the committee room, the River Valley room, and the meeting was taking place in the River Valley room. And, uh, you know, we heard the loud bangs in the building. We heard them through the, the virtual stream uh, into our office. And uh, it's not the first time you hear sort of a noise out in the city room, people setting up for an event, that kind of a thing. But it was a little bit different. And the, we saw the meeting pause, and then we saw people sort of scrambling in the in the room, and we weren't quite sure what was going on. And it's it's my guess. I, it's still early days. We don't have a lot of details. But I think what happened was the Molotov cocktail that caused a small fire also caused the fire alarms to go off. So when the fire alarms went off, we evacuated according to the fire alarm. And, um, you know, not really realizing what was going on. Uh, and uh, coincidentally enough, one of my staff um, uh, had a contact elsewhere in City Hall that started texting and saying that there was an active shooter. So there was a number of us in the stairway at the south end of the councillor offices. And, um, you know, when we heard that, we, we sort of paused on the stairway. And again, you don't know what really to believe or what to trust 
the fire alarm is telling you to get out of the building, but an active shooting situation, you shelter in place. Exactly. And so there's a bit of conflict there about what to do. And so, you know, you're, you're, that, that exit door on the stairway takes us right out into Churchill Square. And so, uh, you know, my concern was that we were kind of walking out, in, potentially walking out into something you know, more organized. So we kind of peeked through the, the slat of the door and uh, didn't really see anything. We saw other people from City Hall congregating at the muster point. So we joined them there. Um, and didn't really hear anything, didn't really uh, know anything. Uh, ultimately, somebody from the clerk's office came by and said, you know what, we're not all getting back into the building uh, for quite a while, so please head to the library and, and stay at uh, the Milner Library. Well, go to the Milner, Milner Library. That's where you'll uh, find a warm place to stand and to wait it out. Uh, so that's what we did. This is... Uh obviously a, a sort of a, I mean aside from the fact that there were no injuries or fatalities uh, which is just remarkable um, this is a worst nightmare type situation uh, I was talking to a friend about this uh, she works at City Hall I won't identify her I was, I was trying to wrap my mind around I said if there, there, there's a class of grade one students in there um, that for the rest of their lives will yeah. remember this and I imagine if, if I'm a parent and I hear and I know my kids having a, a wonderful field trip day at City Hall and then I hear there's an active shooter um, it felt like an American situation to be in. It's kind of been normalized in the United States a little bit, but we don't have it happen in Canada. I mean, did this ever cross your mind as you're, as you're going to work every day at Edmonton City Hall that something like this could happen, that somebody could walk right in and start firing shots? Well, so just a few things. You know, first of all, that grade one class is from a school in the ward I represent. That, that was primarily why I was at City Hall today. Otherwise, uh. I probably would have taken that meeting from home. It was It was a... Yesterday's meeting, I, you know, this this might not sound great, but this yesterday's meeting was a very ordinary meeting. It was a bureaucratic meeting. Uh, it was almost a checkbox kind of an exercise, something we have to do once a year. So that's why so many I would surmise so many counselors were taking it virtually. I was there to meet with that grade one class over lunch, so that was very much on my mind. Those those kids were uh, still there, and you know, in that hour and a half to two hours before we really got news that was on my mind. And, and there was, as you mentioned earlier, there's some uh, staff members there. So had it ever occurred to me, I can tell you that this is, this might also sound a little bit odd, but during our inauguration ceremonies, uh, you know, that sort of takes place at the top of the stairs, you know, halfway up the stairs that you enter into the council chamber with. And I have sat there twice now and kind of looked up at the, at the upper reaches of city hall and thought, you know, in a, in almost in a, a, quite a joking way, but in a dark humor kind of a way, you know, if somebody was up there, we're pretty vulnerable. There's not a lot of places to hide in this room. Yeah. You know, if, if somebody was really bent, but at the same time you think, well, that's, that's not us. That's not Edmonton. That's not, you know, it's, that's not really a concern here. Um, watching the news coverage, you know, yesterday evening uh, and seeing all of this, you know, the, the, the multi-camera crews and, you know, the live hits and the, well, I tell you, like it, it's it was really surreal to think that that's not just my city, but but my workplace, my staff, my friends, my colleagues. It was yeah, it was pretty jarring for sure. So, counselor, obviously, n nobody uh, you know with with integrity is going to start speculating about what may have motivated this shooter, what the end game may have been, the the details there. Uh, I'm not sure it matters as much as the conversation about that accessibility, about how close 
uh, you know, members of the public, disgruntled members of the public can get to their elected officials. Now, we've all seen how protective details work with, you know, sort of main, you know, let's say like with with mayors or the premier, the president yeah. of the United States, something happens, the detail comes in. It sounds like they whisked uh, Mayor Sohi off the property. Um, you're still there. A lot of people are still there. Are, are you starting to wonder? I would imagine you are right now, whether the entire structure of protective details and security needs to be overhauled. Like when, when you're going to walk right back into that building, the next time you do, you know, unless repair crews have got to it, you're going to see busted out windows. I would imagine that this is something that's going to stick with you. Oh, it's going to stick. The, the stickiness of this is going to be interest is, is, is pretty, pretty big. Um, yeah, that crossed my mind. Um, you know, it, when you when you first join council, you fill out you know reams of paperwork. Who are your relatives? Where do your kids go? Where do they work? Uh, what's the phone number for your partner? That kind of stuff. And you know, I, I none of that was sort of activated. And I'm not I'm not complaining. You know, like let me first say that there is a distinction between being the mayor of the city and being a councillor of the city. And you know, Mayor Sohi has, um, as he absolutely should, has access to perhaps more security information, more pertinent information in the moment. Right. Um, you know, he's, he's the top diplomat for our city. So, um, you know, it, it ought be different, but I, I, there's sort of two counter threads here. I felt exposed. No one was, was proactively from a security sense. No one was proactively making sure that I was safe. We have, you know, we have a group chat, uh, amongst all councillors uh, and the clerk, and there were certainly messages going back and forth. Hey, where are you? Hey, where's your staff? That kind of thing. So there was there was certainly some communication. I, I don't want to sound overly critical, but nobody from City Hall Security uh, or the police service reached out to me and said, "Hey, uh, you know, where are you at?" Um, and and in that moment, you don't know if it's like you said earlier. You don't know if it's if somebody's being targeted. Uh, so. You know, is someone going to go check my house? Is someone going to check on my kids? I, none of that was activated. None of that was even part of the conversation. But I will also say this, Ryan, um, you know, we were, not, we were evacuated from City Hall until pretty quickly. We were not getting back in that building, but I was not going very far. You know, my staff and I were uh, working to try to manage expectations of meetings I had. Um, um, I wasn't sure about this classroom full of, of kids. I wasn't sure about my staff, how they were getting home, what, how they were feeling. You know, uh, you know, the captain kind of goes down with the ship, right? And, uh, and my ship is my staffers and, and uh, you know, the ward I represent. And I wasn't going to go very far until I at least had some confidence that um, everything was under control. Now, I mean, I, I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to be another problem for people to solve. So I'm not going to stay in the, in the heart of the emergency but I'm not going to stray very far from that place either. Right. And that's my personal inclination. And that might, that might be in conflict with what a security person says in terms of where they want you to go and what they want you to do as an elected official. So, you know, yeah. I, there's a lot to, to um, go through there. Right. I, and I know that like most politicians will acknowledge that you, you don't want that look of, of armed, you know, heavily armed security at the front doors of city hall or, or like metal oh. metal detectors at the very front door that, but, but I also think of, of, of a situation like this, that, that, and, and I don't mean to diminish the significance when I say it could have been much worse, but it could have been much worse. And w whether it's the mayor, you or staffers, I mean, people that are in that building, like sitting ducks, I, I don't know, something like this is a real wake up call. 
I think that there's going to be some details that come out through the, in, the, in the proper course of time that will that will substantiate that concern that this could have been so much worse. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll let all that play out through the proper channels, that kind of a thing. You know, th- this is the way it was explained to me when I first got there, Ryan. You know, the way the, the the way our city council chamber is crafted is that we have, um, you know, council on one part of the circle. We have our administration, you know, one step down in in the middle of the circle, facing council and informing council. Uh, and but the highest seats and the other half of the circle are the public. They are our constituents. They are, uh, you know, our, our stakeholders, our shareholders, our, our uh, vested partners. And that's the way it's supposed to be. There's a hierarchy there, the public and then their elected representatives and then the administration. That's the, that is the way I understood the building was designed and the way the building was, uh, or at least the chamber was intended to represent. Uh, and, and, you know, perhaps more, um, I don't know, in a different way, the Municipal Government Act says that city council must do everything in public. It must do all of its deliberations in public. It must decide in public. There is no, um, there's nothing similar to a behind the scenes caucus meeting that is permitted by councillors. So, you know, that, that very public ethic is the essence of municipal government, particularly in Edmonton. There's no party politics. It's, it's uh, 13 individuals individuals coming together in a consensus model, meeting with the public to make the best decisions. Mm. Something's going to change here. Um, if for no other reason, then we've got a lot of people that support us that, that are, you know, employees of the corporation of the city of Edmonton. And we have to make sure that they feel safe coming to work in this building. And I'm that, that trust, that safety has been, uh, Severely compromised, at the very least. Severely. You know, we don't wait until somebody gets killed yeah. until we make changes. Anybody that's been in a court of law anywhere in Canada knows that you can't walk in and get right close to the judge without running through metal detectors and security that is armed at our courthouses. Uh, I, I said this uh, to your colleague, to the mayor. I'll say it to you as well. Yeah. Uh, just so very grateful uh, that this wasn't worse, not to diminish the psychological impact of all of this, of course. Uh, but I want to thank you for making time for us. I understand that you and your colleagues obviously will have a lot to think about today and in the days moving forward, Councillor. We will. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Durang. Great yeah. to speak with you today. You got it. Uh, wanted to get a couple of different angles on what yesterday was like, uh, January 23rd, down at Edmonton City Hall. That's uh, Councillor Tim Cartmel. Uh, I see from David in our live chat on YouTube says it's very clear in this day and age that we need more protection in place for elected officials, stricter gun controls, higher security measures. I've seen some people musing in our chat wondering, what, you know, was, is the gun legally registered? Is the gun legally owned? And I saw somebody make a, a point as well that says maybe we should be talking, I think it was Garth maybe, that said maybe we should be talking a little bit more about the human being holding the gun. Uh, I, there's probably a little from column A, a little from column B there, uh, you know, but uh, obviously it's extremely concerning. The the, the video uh, is 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 remarkable. The, some the, scary stuff we're the, seeing the, it right uh, now here. We'll say the alleged shooter, because that's how you report these types of things. The alleged shooter appears to be, appears to be dressed like a security guard yeah. or, or in some sort of uh, official looking outfit. Uh, Johnny appears to be definitely trying to impersonate, impersonate someone. Looks yeah. like he's uh, impersonating a, a security officer. We don't know about the motivation. There's a lot of rumors flying around and that's not what we do on this. Well, we'll talk about political rumors, <laughs> but we won't talk about rumors involving the deadly serious stuff like this. Mm. I, I see another comment. I almost don't want to read this, but I mean, it's just so stupid. I think that it needs to be addressed in our live chat. Chris says, pick another job. Then we don't have the luxury of 
security 24-7 here in the real world. You don't need it, man. Uh, you're not the mayor. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you don't have people showing up armed with Molotov cocktails and firearms, uh, taking shots wherever you work, Chris. I mean, come on. You can't be serious about that. And we've got to take the safety and security of politicians seriously in the united states we've seen it with like gabby giffords getting shot in the head Mm -hmm. i mean we've seen american presidents shot and killed or they Mm -hmm. shot and survived like ronald reagan i mean we've seen even canadian prime ministers and i mean everybody jokes about the shawinigan handshake but what about the protester that got close enough to choke or attempt to choke jean chrétien what about the protester that got close enough to slam a pie into premier ralph klein's face what about the protesters that get close enough you remember uh the man up in grand prairie that was berating christia freeland of course uh, you know this big tall 300 pounder that's you know screaming expletives at her and following her into the elevator do we need to wait uh, until there's a fatality, no. until we take this seriously, it's 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 what's really scary, and I like that Tim and and the mayor said this is 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 that this guy. It seemed like he came in looking for someone and couldn't find anybody because, like they said, everyone was remotely. But he was still it, the video. He's shooting through windows. He doesn't know who's on the he's other blowing side. Blowing up glass everywhere. If if this was a packed day, if this was a day when there was a council meeting and everyone was in there, there would have definitely been people dead. I don't know if he knew that it was not going to be many people there, and that's why he chose that day but who cares if the gun was legal who cares uh, about security outside we're talking about elected officials there was a reason this guy went there think about those kids too man oh a grade one student unbelievable a lot of people are saying well you know hopefully a lot of you are saying i don't remember grade one i don't remember a lot from when i was six i don't know about uh, active shooters and and police escorting you out of a field trip but kids but uh you know kids absorb but 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 regardless i hope they do forget about it uh and and you know we'll we'll wish uh their parents grace and wisdom as they continue to talk to those young ones now listen this is a developing story. A lot of times on Real Talk, we're planning our shows ahead of time. And, and a lot of times there's developing news and, and breaking news, so to speak, that we know that this audience will be interested in. We did have a show lined up. And uh, in just a second, we're going to talk to political scientist Dr. Jared Wesley, uh, Democracy Under Threat, the new feature in Alberta Views. He's going to be getting into that on the legal side, on the chief medical officer of health side. And Luke Lebrun is going to join us today. He's the editor of Press Progress. Uh, Luke's been following that emergencies act inquiry interesting development uh ruling out of the courts that maybe the emergencies act being invoked was the wrong move but it's not the win that convoy supporters might think it is luke's going to get into that with us in just a second these conversations are happening with the support of real talk partners like california closets who's here for you right now as you're looking to make your new year's resolution happen you promised yourself you would declutter and get organized nobody's better at getting you on the right track in that context than California closets. They can do primary bedrooms. They can give you that dream walk-in closet you've always wanted. California closets can transform your garage, your living room, your laundry room, your guest room. You get the idea. And it all starts with a free consultation at californiaclosets.ca. Hey, if you're a skilled worker, maybe you're a journeyman, electrician, or an apprentice that's on their way to getting their ticket. If you're a sales professional, if you're an engineer, how about an office administrator? You get the idea. Kubi Renewable Energy is hiring across the board. You want to work in Calgary? You want to work in Edmonton? How about Lethbridge? How about Kamloops? If you want to travel across BC and Alberta or work from home, 
there's probably a fit for you with Canada's fastest growing and busiest solar installer. Kubi Renewable Energy is driving Canada's green energy movement and they want you to be a part of it. You can check out the careers link at kubienergy.ca. So you're going, well, that sounds pretty good, uh, but I got to get schooled up first. Or maybe it's another opportunity in the job market you're looking to pursue. You know, tens of thousands of Canadians trust the process at Athabasca University. And why do they love it? Because it's designed to be a perfect fit no matter your situation, no matter your location, no matter your background with a post-secondary education or not. There's a role for you, a place for you at Canada's Open University. And one of the best parts about it, your only commute is to your device. Unbelievable return on investment. You can check it all out at AthabascaU.ca. More than 94% of AU alumni say they're satisfied with the quality of their education. Get the ball rolling with your path at AthabascaU.ca. And before we get to Dr. Wesley, a quick note from our friends at Eden Landscaping. You know, all the news through the summer was about floods and wildfires. There is no doubt that climate and weather patterns are changing. And intuitive landscape design needs to reflect that as well. People are going to be doing different things with their irrigation and drainage. People are going to be putting different plants in there. You got to have a landscape designer that understands where we are right now and where we're going. Eden Landscaping is a custom builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. And your first conversation with them is, of course, on the house. Get that design conversation started today with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. I want to thank Dr. Jared Wesley for his flexibility. Uh, you and I were to be speaking out of the gates today, but obviously developing news out of Edmonton's uh, City Hall, kind of a, a, a remarkable story. You're, yourself, uh, you know, an academic, but also just as a general citizen, how are you wrapping your mind around what happened at City Hall in Edmonton yesterday? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's pretty personal. I have a grade one at home, right? And um, so my immediate thought was, what, what would I do as a parent to try to protect my kid? And I know that um, counselors and staff there and the parents that were involved in that field trip were definitely going through that in their minds. Um, and we don't know. You've made this point repeatedly. We yeah. don't know the motivations. We don't know, um, you know, what, what, what was behind it. But it does raise some questions uh, about a, an alarming pattern uh, throughout North America, throughout the world right now with elected officials under increasing threat um, from, from folks who, who uh, are taking, you know, taking us out of what democracy is intended to do. And we go back to the origins of democracy, it was an alternative to violence. And there are some folks that, that take those matters into their own hands and invoke that violence. That is worrying. Um, it's also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that members of, of our academic community are under threat, particularly women, uh, particularly people of, um, uh, from, uh, from black communities, Muslim communities, and so on. There was an attack just last year uh, in, uh, in Ontario University involving that. And U of A is taking security measures to try to protect our faculty. So this isn't just about elected officials. I know that's the conversation we might be having over the next few weeks, but it's about people that are trying to disturb, uh, you know, the, the, the peaceful discussion and, and debate about public policy, which is at the heart of our democracy. 
I mean, it, it's, it's interesting timing. I'm not, I'm not trying to be cute by segueing to this, but we had you booked already to talk about this, uh, the January-February uh, issue of Alberta Views Magazine. You're a contributor actually on a couple of different fronts in this episode, uh, in this issue rather. The, 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 the headline, uh, the front page, the cover of the magazine, Democracy Under Threat, and, and, and it delves into the different ways and the different contexts in which this is happening. Uh, you have a, an opinion piece in here, a, a longer form piece on how democracy will fail without an independent judicial system take take us into this for people that haven't yet read it at albertaviews.ca yeah um and i just say alberta views fantastic uh, publication that gets into some of these details in great depth so thank thank you to them for letting me go into it um really impetus for the piece was uh, the ethics commissioner's report which came out um during the election campaign right talking about how um premier daniel smith had had uh, taken steps to interfere with the prosecution of um of arthur uh, Pulaski folks may not remember that it seems like decades ago doesn't now, but, it I know right um, and part of her recommendations in that report was was that uh, MLAs require some kind of training on on the basics of democracy including in, in her mind in, including um, the, the you know the separation between the three branches of government which some of your listeners may be going back in their minds I know two maybe one or two of them but we don't we don't go through this on a daily basis to know the difference between what the legislative executive and judicial brands we probably should expect that our politicians do though um, and so this piece goes into uh, how we might rejig some of the training of MLAs to take it a little bit deeper on their role uh, in preserving our, our democratic institutions. Do you think that that politicians these days, and I'm asking the question very generally, uh, you can answer it however you like, of course, uh, are politicians playing a little more fast and loose with the rules with more unconventional politicians achieving significant office in, in Canada, the United States and around the world? Or has this always been happening? Um, I, I think it's a bit of a bit of both. Uh, so we know that we have folks that are coming in from different uh, different occupational backgrounds than there were a generation or two generations ago. And you need to look no further than the struggles that a lot of uh, governments, including the government of Alberta, historically has had to try to find a justice minister who has a legal degree. Mm. Right? There's only been one, maybe two, in the last few governments that they could actually pick and say, we need somebody with, with legal experience to, to serve as, as justice minister. Now, bringing people in from different backgrounds isn't, isn't a bad thing, right? I mean, it, it offers an opportunity for more and diverse voices. But what it requires us to do is, is move beyond the assumption that these folks know what they're doing when they get into office. Um, sometimes they're, they get into office not even expecting to win an election. We saw, remember, the Jack Layton group that came in with a bunch of uh, MPs back in, in that election that, that uh, he surprised everyone with. The Notley uh, New Democrats would be the first to admit when they formed office in 2015. They didn't have a very experienced group that knew a lot about uh, parliamentary politics, and that's one of the reasons why they shrunk their cabinet to the size that they did. In the piece, I talk about how we can't assume that MLAs know the basics of how democracy works, but more importantly, their crucial role in upholding some of these important principles like the separation between the judiciary and the executive. So what are you going to say to the person that says, you know, that chirps you on Twitter from their anonymous account and then says, oh, Dr. Wesley, here you here you go again with the hyperbole. Uh, here, here you go, you know, lighting your beard on fire, I'll say. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, democracy will fail uh, without an independent judicial system. Give me a break. Democracy's not going to fail. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement to me. Well, I mean, at the root of it is the rule of law, right? Which, which says, quite simply, nobody's above or, or below the law. Everyone, regardless of their station in life, should, should have a fair treatment in front of an impartial judge, right? I mean, this is, this is what's at the root of, of the, the controversy, not just involving Pawlowski here in Alberta, but as we go into in the piece, 
um, the controversy surrounding SNC, SNC Lavalin, right? I mean, this is a, a group of politicians that saw it as their business to wade into um, the, the job of judges. Uh, and this is a pattern here in Alberta, too, where the Sovereignty Act, for example, handed power over to the Alberta legislature that belonged to the courts, handed over power to the executive that belonged to the legislature. Um, I'd like to think that the advisors around politicians are smart enough to, to guide them in the right direction, but uh, history's told us otherwise. Yeah, but also rot is deep, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think it was, uh, was it Jean Chrétien's 90th birthday, I think, that everyone was just observing. And, and for people that are legitimately doing, you know, rolling out a synopsis of his political career, you can't ignore the sponsorship scandal, uh, which was a really big deal. I mean, this isn't necessarily i mean you may have more current offenders but it's not even you, you reference the ndp government in alberta uh necessarily a partisan thing or do you see trends along those lines no i i don't look at this as a, as a partisan yeah. issue i think the alberta government's done a great job of giving us more examples than than we've seen in in recent memory but it definitely cuts across all lines i would say though that you know whether we're talking about scandal, whether we're talking about a case of clear ethics violations, if not legal violations, uh, we have to remind citizens that it's their job to be paying attention and it's their job to be contacting their MLAs when they see, you know, clearly um, abhorrent behavior that's, that's threatening these, you know, these core democratic principles, right? So to, to Kretchen's point, um, they didn't get away with it. Sure, they won a minority government after uh, Martin squeaked one out uh, in, in the 2004 election, but eventually uh, Canadians turfed them. And we do know that the sponsorship scandal was a, a key component of that transition in power. Albertans voted on, on the Premier's record and, and um, justice ministers as well as we go into the piece who called up a um, you recall called up a chief of police to try to get out of a park uh, out of a speeding ticket, right? Unbelievable, right? I mean, but Alberta distracted driving, right? Distracted yeah, yeah. driving. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, thank you for the clarification. Well, I don't want to be called out, you know, right? Um, but no, but so at the end of the day, uh, Albertans had their chance to weigh in on that, and they they said uh, through their through their ballots that they were most of them okay with it, and maybe it's that they weren't okay with that necessarily, but they were willing to put that behind other priorities that they had. Right. Um, but that that's what's really the safeguard in this system is when Albertans, uh, Canadians more generally start to think about uh, how these institutions are eroding. They need to start signaling to their politicians that enough is enough. Um, you reference uh, for obvious reasons, uh, the Honorable Marguerite Tressler, uh, King's Counsel, the Ethics Commissioner in Alberta. And, and we're going to talk to you in just a second before we wrap about the Chief Medical Officer mm-hmm. of Health. We know I've talked to you about this even before, about how members of the public are seeing some of their confidence, their faith eroded in public institutions. We see trends on mass. People say they have less faith in the media. They have less faith in educational institutions. They have less faith in the healthcare system and the professionals there. Perhaps some of these voices just louder than ever before. Do you, do you get the sense that people still have confidence in offices like the ethics commissioner? I mean, we get 10 emails a week about mm-hmm. people that have no faith in the Alberta energy regulator anymore. I'm not drawing a direct line between the two, but this is a trend. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking next in our next Alberta or Viewpoint Alberta poll, we'll throw podcasters into that. Yeah, well. maybe do. <laughs> See whether trust is eroding. I appreciate there. you dragging right? us exactly. into this. No. Um, what we found, though, through through our polling is that people have more faith in the institutions than they do in the people that occupy them. Interesting. Right? So there there is a foundational belief that the system itself is pretty good. I mean, we see this time after time when, when governments have gone to, to electors and said, hey, do you want to change the electoral system? Hey, do you want to change, you know, key, key parts of, 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 you know, of our democratic? 
democratic system. And Canadians are saying, no, the system's working okay. We just want you folks to work better, right? Mm. We want you to work together. We want you to work ethically. So um, the piece on the chief medical officer of health, I made, the, I made that argument. I think the system itself uh, is set up for success, but it relies on people within it to know what they're doing and to act honorably. And we did not see that happen. I'm not saying it was our chief medical officer of health that acted inhonorably, unhonorably mm, in that sure. situation, but folks um, around her did. Let me ask you this before we thank you for your time, and thanks again for your flexibility this morning. Um, I love the dialogue feature that Alberta Views rolls out, where they bring in really smart people that t take different and conflicting positions on an important question and, and argue it. And this one in the January-February issue of Alberta Views, should the chief medical officer of health have more independence from cabinet? Uh, people understood, I think, the role of the chief medical officer of health way more during and after COVID, the pandemic, than they did before. Mm -hmm. uh, in Alberta, in, you know, BC, you knew, you knew Bonnie Henry. In Alberta, you, you know, you, you knew Dina Hinshaw, and, and she was a hero, and then she wasn't, and then she was maybe sort of like a hero again when people are, you know, having more light shone on it. You know, whether or not her advice was being taken by cabinet was being debated, whether or not the health minister was listening to the mm -hmm. chief medical, you get the idea. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Mark Joffe is Alberta's new chief medical officer of health. And I'm talking to Dr. Paul Parks, like maybe about a month ago, president of the Alberta Medical Association. And I say, Dr. Parks, don't you think it's strange that with COVID numbers rising again in ERs and respiratory therapists and, and physicians, ER physicians telling us that they're really concerned about this and flu season's underway, aren't you concerned we're not seeing more of the chief medical officer of health? And he says, yes. And I go, well, this is interesting. And he goes, but I know Dr. Joffe and I know he's a professional and I have to wonder why they're keeping him out of the spotlight. He didn't wonder why Dr. Joffe wasn't stepping in front of the microphone. He hinted that there might be other factors at play. Do you wonder about that? Um, no, well, you know, we, we studied chief medical officers of health across the country. First thing to know is that their role is very different from province to province. Legislatively, they have very different roles. Mm -hmm. Bonnie Henry's scope of, of, of latitude is very different from, from Dina Hinshaw's. But secondly, I would say it, it's a really, it's a personality thing. So um, I won't go into, you know, the inside details of, of Dr. Joffe and, and his own approach. There are some instances where the chief medical officer of health wouldn't want to step in front of cameras to address it because, um, A, they've provided their advice behind closed doors and they feel like it's a politician that should take the, uh, you know, the responsibility as they should under our system of government uh, for decisions that were made. So I'm not going to weigh into those decisions other than to say that it's, um, it's, it's really a, a person-to-person case to case, uh, issue to issue thing, right? And but the point that I make in, in my half of this debate um, is that folks that want to see the chief medical officer of health have more independence, right, to have their own microphone to have be able to make their own decisions, I think, need to reconsider when uh, you when you think about uh, if you have this position be more independent, they will have more latitude. And you may not be able to control or hold them accountable, right? As, as flawed as our system of representative democracy is, um, at least Albertans have the ability to weigh in if they disagree with the decision. I always tell people, if you like technocracy, putting you know, an independent person out there making decisions, that's all fine and well until you don't get to pick the technocrat. Mm. And I can guarantee you, if you give, that, give the government, um, uh, if the government makes that, that uh, position more independent, they will pick someone who they know is going to uh, fall in line with them ideologically. And so there are all kinds of risks that we go into in this debate with, uh, with my colleagues that I hope folks will have a read.
Yeah, there's many fascinating debates over the course of COVID. I can only speak to, to, to our home province uh, of Alberta and, and, and even speaking with friends and colleagues of mine. You know, should Dr. Hinshaw at that time uh, be the one making the call on whether or not businesses were closing or, or, or what the rules would be around it? Or, or should it be the politicians at that time? Minister Tyler Shandro, Premier Jason Kenney. And it is a compelling argument uh, that number one, having unelected officials in positions of that much authority and influence is potentially troubling. Uh, and number two, the whole point of elections is the majority of people or the majority of those who turn out to vote choosing who will be making those decisions when those decisions need to be made. And that's tough to argue whether or not you like the incumbent, whether or not you like who the health minister is or the premier is. That's what it's all about. It is, and, and that's what ties the two pieces together, right? Um, I think Albertans, uh, more than anybody else in Canada, have realized over the last decade that elections have consequences. And it's not just about picking governments. It's about picking individual MLAs who will represent them uh, throughout the course of a legislature. We learned through COVID that, you know, a policy platform only takes you so far when you have a massive crisis that you have to address, and you have to fall back on the people that are in the room. And I think Albertans have got a good group of people in the room. It's probably the most talented and, and decorated group of MLAs we've had in a long time. It's a very substantial, big opposition. So if we can empower those MLAs, give them the information that they need in order to do their job effectively and hold the government accountable on our behalf, that's what I think we should aim for. You can read Dr. Jared Wesley's work in the January-February issue of Alberta Views magazine, Democracy Under Threat. And I want to direct you to albertaviews.ca. You know, if you're not yet a subscriber, I encourage you to do so. Number one, to support independent, long-form, fact-checked journalism. And number two, just to school yourself up on issues that matter, to read those different perspectives and put them through your own test. See whether or not the way you felt before is the way you feel after. You go to albertaviews.ca, you click on subscribe, and if you use the promo code AVRJ, that's Alberta Views, Ryan Jesperson, AVRJ, they're going to knock 50% off a one-year subscription, which means it's delivered to your door 10 issues for 20 bucks, if you can believe it. 20 bucks. I think they should charge more, but 20 bucks, and you could get that delivered right to your door. Hey, thanks for doing this, man. It's always very good to see you. Always a pleasure, Ryan. You got it. That's U of A political scientist, Dr. Jared Wesley. We're going to check in with Luke Lebrun coming up in 90 seconds. He's the editor of Press Progress, and he's been doing a great job helping Canadians understand the ramifications of this court ruling that the Emergencies Act being invoked, in fact, sort of trampled on people's charter rights. That's what the federal court says. But what does that ultimately mean? It may not be the win that convoy supporters think it is. That's coming up in 90 seconds. But you know our tradition. Every Wednesday, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper, we head out to the mountains and remind you about the memories that are there to be made. It's my Jasper memories. And of course, this month in Jasper, a very special one, as they observe the institution that is Jasper in January. I shared some of my memories last Wednesday. I was lucky enough to get out there and sample some of the fair and just obviously take in the natural beauty there as well. But a ton of events, including coming up this week on January 25th, the Poutine Showdown. They've also got a great improv night coming up. It's a way to kick off the weekend a little bit early with a new cultural event, a terrific showcase of Jasper's diverse local talent. Coming up this Friday, and these are unique events to this weekend. You've got the wildlife tours in the morning. Maybe if you've never been to Jasper before, maybe you've never seen all those elk up close, maybe those big mountain goats, the rams, all of those 
wildlife that people come from all around the world to see. They've got their Festival of Galaxies happening as well. You can get either the planetarium experience or the telescope and planetarium combo. See the stars through the most powerful telescopes in the Rockies. And then Pride Night's coming up this weekend featuring LGBTQ2S plus performers and DJs. The event will be rocking all night long in a safe and inclusive space. They've also got workshops going on this weekend on Saturday with Indigenous Knowledge Keeper Matricia Bauer. They have demo days going on at Marmot Basin. They're going to have some beautiful snow conditions out there at Marmot this weekend. Test drive all their best gear. doesn't cost you a thing. And then they've got their street party and fireworks going on on Saturday night. You know, this is the only time of year you're going to see fireworks in Jasper. They've really dialed them back, but they fire it up as they wrap up Jasper in January. They've got ice climbing tours coming up this Sunday, as well as lights tours and live music going on Sunday evening. You can find out all the details. Make your perfect itinerary. Make your own My Jasper Memories by checking out jasper.travel slash January. You can just follow the link in the show notes as well. My Jasper Memories is presented Wednesdays on Real Talk by our wonderful friends at Tourism Jasper. Our next guest, I happen to know, was strapped on his skis yesterday in La Belle Provence in Quebec, riding a chairlift when he got back to us and let us know he could make himself available for an interview. He's the editor of Press Progress, does a great job. Uh, Luke Lebrun, it's great to see you. Number one, let me say thank you for your flexibility today. Our show lineup shuffled a little bit, and and uh, we appreciate you making time for us still. How were the conditions in Quebec? You had a wonderful day on the slopes yesterday or what? It was all right. It was all right. It was a little bit warmer on the weekend. It was very, very cold, like minus 20. And yesterday was about minus five. So, oh, that's pretty, uh, perfect. Pretty good. I'll ride a chairlift in minus five all day long. Minus 20 is a bit of a different story, I think. Um, hey, hey, Luke, uh, you, you, you've been doing a lot of work. And, and I should mention as well as, as part of your uh, introduction here that you, you are also the guy behind uh, convoywatch.ca. So I know that you've been uh, keeping an eye for, for quite some time on, on what's happened around that, that trucker convoy across the country on the Ottawa occupation and, and obviously the fallout from that. A court ruling this week put this story back in front of Canadians, uh, and it's got people wondering about whether or not that Emergencies Act should have been invoked. Federal court says no. Can you take us into this? Yeah, sure. I mean, to begin, uh, you know, this weekend is going to be the two-year anniversary of the Freedom Convoy, and can you, like, I mean, put yourself back two years. Can you imagine that we're still talking about it, uh, you know, (laughs) at this point? Like, it's kind of mind-boggling. It is. Um, you know, but, you know, I guess that speaks to uh, how big of an impact the uh, Freedom Convoy has had on Canadian politics. Um, yeah, so this ruling that came out, I mean, first of all, it was, just to give you some background context, it was uh, brought forward by a number of uh, people who, some of them were um, involved with uh, anti-vaccine groups. Uh, interestingly, the uh, judge actually dismissed the case of one of the main uh, parties in it because, he said they had no standing and he actually was angry with their lawyer because he was quote unquote grandstanding uh, during the uh, during the hearings. Um, but, you know, so the civil liberties groups uh, were granted public interest standing. And uh, as, according to the judge, you know, he found that their arguments were quite persuasive in his ultimate ruling. And I think it is important to say at the outset that, um, you know, there are some real um civil liberties issues that are at play here uh and competing interests right on one hand i mean 
genuine legitimate issues when it comes to civil liberties but then on the other hand uh, especially in ottawa the rights of ottawa residents to go about their life you know peacefully and uh you know in you know enjoying their lives and, and rights and what have you um so the ruling that we got yesterday or i should say the decision um basically it it's kind of a technical reading of the emergencies act like the language in the act and what it does is it um, kind of hones in on two questions. So first of all, was it an actual national emergency? And also, was there a uh, threat to national security, essentially? And, you know, if you read the decision, I think there, I think the Justice, uh, Justice Mosley makes some, you know, fair, if not maybe pedantic points and kind of asks, you know, like, was this actually a national emergency? And what he ends up concluding is that, you know, uh, he acknowledges that there was a serious uh, emergency in Coots and in Windsor, but uh, he said that, you know, ultimately the police in those uh, areas were able to control it with the existing laws and existing tools that they had at their disposal. Whereas he uh, also admits that in Ottawa, things had just broken down and had become so lawless uh, that there was no way that the police were going to handle it on their own. So based on that, he basically says, you know, this wasn't really a national emergency. It was more an Ottawa emergency. And so that was one of the arguments that, uh, you know, or one of the things that kind of guided his analysis. Um, the other another point, too, is, you know, he just talks about threats to national security. Uh, he acknowledges that there were valid concerns when it came to the question of national security threats, but he ends up kind of defining national security threat as a, you know, some kind of bodily harm or serious violence that might cause bodily harm. Um, and so, you know, while he acknowledges that, for example, in Coots, uh, weapons were seized, and while he acknowledges that in um, in Ottawa, there were people on the streets who were being physically assaulted, um, you know, he basically says that this didn't really rise to the level of national security threat, according to his technical interpretation of you know, as it is set out in the in the in the act, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I will defer to other people about whether or not that's a good decision. But that's kind of the context of what this decision actually is. It's not uh, important to note. It's not the you know the judge was not asked to decide whether or not the freedom convoy had a point. He was not asked to decide whether or not the freedom convoy was good. You know, he was. It's nothing like that. He's kind of very narrowly. Um, trying to see if 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 it was reasonable to invoke the Emergencies Act based on the language in the in the law. So, Luke, this is I mean, it's a fascinating ruling on our, on our live chat right now. Donald says this wasn't even close to a national emergency. I know that let's get into the ruling a little bit. Justice Mosley says that invoking the Emergencies Act unreasonable because the threat to the security of Canada uh, did not mean simply a, a, you know, a general sort of a danger to the Canadian way of life, uh, but it has to require the use of, of CSIS uh, definition, which would be a threat or use of serious violence against people or property. Now that I think you could make the argument uh, that in Coots, uh, it was serious as hell, you know, with with a, a cache of weapons seized, obviously attempted murder. I mean, there's the charges later as about as serious as it gets. But that was not the case uh, in Ottawa. And I thought that your take on this, the, the point you make from from your Twitter account yesterday, valuable as well. And, and I want to pick your brain on this because it's an interesting one that you, you say, I'm not sure that convoy supporters that are celebrating this ruling have read it closely. The judge notes that if he was the government, he probably would have invoked it, too. So 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 the ruling is that it goes against 
the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that it was not justified, yet at the same time, the judge says, but I probably would have done it as well. So where does that leave the average Canadian that's trying to wrap their mind around this and maybe future implications? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's two dimensions to this, right? There is the, you know, legal side of it. And, you know, again, not a lawyer. I'll leave that to someone more with more expertise to comment on whether or not uh, the judge made the right decision. It's obviously uh, going to go to appeal. So, you know, that is what it is. Uh, there's also a political dimension to this. And obviously, uh, if you're a convoy supporter, you're going to hold this up and claim that it is vindicating you. Um, you know, you've seen Pierre Polyev uh, kind of seizing on this and, you know, trying to Use it, you know, as Pierre Polyev should, because this is, uh, you know, something that he can make political hay out of. Yeah. You know, he's going to point to this as an example of Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, violating the rights of Canadians and sort of acting as a, a dictator and, and you know, criticizing Trudeau for that. And, you know, that's his uh, that's his prerogative. And, you know, this is politics and that's um, Pierre Polyev's job, frankly. Um, but yeah, so just in terms of vindicating the convoy, you know, like if you actually read the the ruling itself, you know, he starts his uh, Justice Mosley starts his uh, conclusion by noting that, you know, he is coming into this with the benefit of hindsight. He has more information than cabinet had at the time. Uh, and, you know, he he also says that, um, you know, he acknowledges that at the point that they invoke the Emergencies Act, this had gone way beyond, uh, you know, a legitimate protest. There had been a serious breakdown in public order. Like he acknowledges that this had all happened. Uh, and as you say in the in the in the bit that you quoted, uh, he says that basically, if he had been in government, if he had been in cabinet, uh, you know, he might have been inclined to make the same decision based on what they knew at the time. So, if you're going to, um, you know, if you're going to try to make political hay out of that, I think it is important to note that the justice does note that as well. He, I mean, just throughout the entire ruling, he keeps saying. Uh, you know, keeps noting that the convoy supporters who were in Ottawa and elsewhere were engaging in criminal and violent activity. He notes that they were promoting hateful messages. He notes that there were uh, far right extremists who some of whom were actually calling for January 6 uh, type insurrections. Right. Uh, you know, this is all stuff that the justice acknowledges, even while, you know, at the end, concluding that he didn't find it reasonable to invoke the Emergencies Act. There, there, there's the financial implication as well. And in, in our live chat on YouTube right now, a lot of people are touching on that. I'll quote Alberta Girl, who says, I have always argued uh, that the majority of Canadians had their charter rights infringed upon by the border blockade and the occupation of our national capital, our economy was being strangled. I mean, there was a very real, I, I don't remember the specific number, uh, Luke, maybe you do, but even that, that the closure of the, uh, of the Windsor bridge, um, you know, it was estimated that was costing uh, Canadians and Americans uh, hundreds of millions of dollars a day. Uh, so at some point you got to shut that down. The question is as, as, as the threat looms of future, trucker convoys or future occupations how are they managed and obviously the ottawa police came under fire for this the then ottawa mayor came under fire uh premier uh, doug ford came under fire obviously the federal government did as well there, there's a lot of uh, uh contemplation and reflection to go around to say the least yeah, I mean, if you read the decision kind of with that political lens, I think one of the questions that you would, you know, I think it begs is, you know, what else could the government have done at that point? You know, the uh, Justice Mosley basically uh, concludes that, you know, there were laws that existed that should have uh, handled this without the government needing to invoke the Emergencies Act. Uh, you know, I will say as someone who 
uh, is an Ottawa resident, you know, I'm still scratching my head why the bylaw officers were not able to, um, you know, issue tickets to some of these vehicles. Like a lot of stuff doesn't make sense in terms of why there was a breakdown and why laws weren't being enforced. But the fact of the matter is three weeks into this thing, you know, uh, clearly something was broken and this, you know, invoking the Emergencies Act, whether you agree with it or not, did end up uh, doing something that led to its conclusion. Um but yeah, you know, it's interesting also, uh, I think that the, the, that question that comes out of this decision kind of dovetails interestingly with uh, the Emergencies Act inquiry and uh, Justice Rulo's report, because uh, in his report, Justice Rulo concludes basically that um, at the end of the day, the Freedom Convoy was a failure of federalism and a failure of policing. And, uh, you know, like, if you go back and look at the Emergencies Act inquiry, there is just a plethora of evidence uh, to suggest that, you know, police were fighting with one another, uh, like within the Ottawa Police Service. I mean, some of the top uh, police leaders were, you know, at each other's throats. Then you had situations where the Ottawa police were arguing with the OPP and the RCMP. And it was like, you know, one of those like cop uh cop TV shows where everybody's kind of fighting over jurisdiction and telling everyone to stay off their turf, like yeah. that kind of a thing. It's our There's investigation. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it was the opposite. And, uh, In the TV shows, they want control of the investigation with the convoy. Nobody wanted it. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone was standing back. No yeah. one wanted to own it. They want someone else to take it. Uh, that was the case with Doug Ford in Ontario. Doug Ford went snowmobiling in the Muskokas uh, during the uh, Freedom Convoy. And, you know, it seemed pretty clear that uh, Doug Ford did not want anything to do with this. He wanted this to be Justin Trudeau's problem. He felt uh, he felt also that, you know, the people who were protesting in Ottawa were uh, directing it at the federal government. So it's kind of Justin Trudeau's problem to deal with and not his, except, you know, Ottawa is a city in the province of Ontario. And when the, uh, you know, policing breaks down in the city of Ottawa, that's actually the province's problem to fix and he was negligent he wasn't there he was absent he was uh snowmobiling in the Muskokas as I say so um you know that 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 kind of I think it kind of leads back to the conclusion that Justice Rulo ended up having and then that kind of leaves us with the question of what you know what else could have been done yeah, uh, we, we've got uh, really great points. I want to, if you have a second, Luke, I'd love to get into some of the conversation on our uh, live chat here. You know, you know, Lorraine says provinces ran for cover. They basically left it to the federal government to clean up the mess. What else was there to do? Uh, plus the threats to police, the guns. I, I didn't see any reports of, of, of guns discovered in Ottawa, but certainly at, at Coots. Uh, Noob, try again, says to your guest point about bylaw not issuing tickets. Like, w would you want to be in one of their positions with a booklet walking into that lion's den to write tickets? Not without a few cops by my side. That's the thing. That's what I thought of, Luke, as well, is like, you got to think, like, I'm, I'm of two minds on this. Number one, uh, that would certainly escalate the situation. But number two, what is the point of law enforcement if not to enforce the law? And uh, I'm not trying to compare, you know, occupiers to puppies but like when you're training puppies uh the more leash you give them and the more liberties you allow the puppy to take the bigger nightmare you have when it's a 120 pound rottweiler uh that has no standard of the expected behavior like if if, if, if police and bylaw officers continue to allow occupiers to simply walk all over the rules for weeks and weeks and weeks it's no wonder there's hot tubs and hundreds of jerry cans being brought in because nobody's drawing the line. So I guess, to be honest with you, I'm at, on at least two minds on this one. 
Yeah, I mean, it is fair to say that the Ottawa police were trying to use de-escalation tactics and they were, uh, there are many examples you can point to where they were, um, you know, trying not to inflame the situation. And there are situations where, um, you know, there were kind of crowds of people who were gathering around uh, police, for example, in Confederation Park. This came up during the Emergencies Act inquiry. Um, you know, and the, the, the police were... Uh, assaulted and were you know had genuine fear for their safety so yeah, yeah sure fair enough but uh again you know it's like what what was the solution like clearly de-escalating wasn't working uh we had a situation where you've got like 10 blocks of of uh you know a city center that are just filled to the brim with trucks uh even spilling over into the surrounding residential areas uh you know like kind of two-story family homes and there are people uh sleeping in in sort of cars and and you know, the stuff's just sprawled out everywhere. And, uh, you know, clearly the de-escalating uh, tactics that they tried to deploy were not working. Uh, they didn't try, you know, ticketing people. They didn't try, you know, kind of escalating it a little bit further. So, uh, I mean, you know, I I don't know what the solution would have been, but uh, clearly uh, they weren't trying all the things, uh, making use of all the tools that they may have had at their disposal. Yeah, here, here, here's an interesting point from uh, Keith Carlson, who's watching this live on YouTube. I happen to know he's a town councillor down in Claire's Home, Alberta, in the southern part of the province. He's the chef and owner of Roy's Place as well, with the best cinnamon buns in the province. Go check him out. Uh, councillor Carlson says the restaurant suppliers had produce stuck uh, and it was delivered spoiled. Uh, by those blockades and the cost to businesses with that stuff uh, cost millions alone. He says Coots was a safety hazard. Interesting point from Ken, who's quite right, in saying one key aspect of this was the inability of local law enforcement to force towing companies to use their resources, which clearly was important here. We need new laws to handle that behavior. Luke, I know you'll remember. Uh, I, I remember hearing directly from companies. We were trying to get them on the show, uh, towing companies. and they, they would all talk to us off the record. None of them would do an interview, but they were like, if you think we're sending our trucks and our drivers to that border blockade to tow away big rigs and then deal with it for the next 30 years it's like people who cross a picket line during a strike uh, welcome to the the rest of your career uh they just weren't going to do it there was no way i mean people were talking about the federal government should send in the army the federal government should buy its own tow trucks i don't know who you're going to get to drive them soldiers maybe i mean it, it was really i mean there were a lot of tough situations you and i could talk about this for hours yeah, no, for sure. And the tow trucks were actually uh, a topic that came up in the decision. And um, Justice Mosley kind of dismissed it as kind of not a big deal, even though that was one of the uh, points that the federal government made for why they needed to in invoke it, because there was no other way to actually, uh, you know, essentially just no other way to clear out the streets unless they, you know, have those powers. And, um, you know, like I think also some of the other points that you were uh, mentioning from the live from the live chat. Um, my observation personally was that, uh, especially comparing this decision with the Emergencies Act inquiry, it seemed like it got uh, a lot less into the details. Uh, this decision, it kind of engaged much more on a much more shallow level with the specific uh, all these specific examples that we're talking about, and all of which are very relevant. Um, whereas I think the Emergencies Act inquiry, because it did go on longer and it had many, many witnesses, um, I think it ended up doing, you know, maybe giving more weight to some of these concerns that uh, people are raising and are, you know, totally valid points. Uh, we're talking to Luke LeBrun, editor of Press Progress. Before we let you get back to your day, Luke, let me let me just touch on this story that you published yesterday at pressprogress.ca. We'll have the link to it uh, in the show notes here. Fire right convoy groups plan to occupy Canadian police stations 
until government officials are arrested. What's going on here? Right. So uh, some of these individuals uh, were uh, some of the Freedom Convoy organizers going back two years. Uh, Two of those uh, individuals that you're showing on your screen right now, they're actually part of uh, another convoy called the Save the Children Convoy, uh, which came to Ottawa back in the fall. They actually set up a base camp out in uh, Castleman, Ontario, uh, sort of like farmland kind of area. Um, so they kind of had this, um, I guess there were about 100, 150 people or so who were kind of living in this place where they set up uh, kind of semi-permanent structures, living in RVs and that kind of a thing. Um, anyway, so they've been trying to... Uh, <laughs> It's a very complicated uh, movement. Uh, they're kind of uh, motivated and inspired by uh, some QAnon adjacent beliefs, uh, a lot of sovereign citizen stuff where they have these pseudo legal beliefs about, uh, you know, how the government works and how the law system works and that kind of a thing. Um, so their new uh, project that they are now focusing on, it uh, basically involves them wanting to go into police stations and demanding uh, the arrests and charges being placed against government officials. And they say that they're not going to leave until the police do what they say. Uh, and on this Zoom call, which happened on Monday night, where they had a sort of a planning meeting, uh, they were talking about staying for weeks or even months uh, at these police stations. Um, it is kind of interesting to think of this story in connection with this decision, because I do genuinely wonder how uh, groups like this will react to a decision that they think is validating them and that they think is siding with them. It may uh, be the case that they end up uh, feeling emboldened by a decision like this, which could be cause for concern. Luke, uh, really want to thank you for for making time for us today uh, and uh, and, and as well for your flexibility on the timing of the interview. I know obviously you're a busy guy. Uh, If people want to check out the work that you're doing, I mentioned convoywatch.ca, which I I know it's not totally funny, but it's, it's basically become like a Randy Hillier focus page right now, like one of the biggest loons in Canadian political history uh, and I won't apologize for that in any way shape or form and then they can read all of your good reporting at pressprogress.ca thanks for this pal yeah no thanks so much for having me on we really appreciate it that's Luke Lebrun editor of Press Progress you can see it at pressprogress.ca yeah I was watching that video this morning of uh, what what is her name what is that what is that woman's name there uh, she's she's actually running for uh some sort of government uh is that who i think it is it is it is and is that is, is that i don't want to say the PPC? name of, it is dana metcalf it is dana metcalf dude so i'm watching dude, this video dude, this morning she no like yeah this is hitting is this who i think it is from edmonton it is yes the business owner well i think she's from newfoundland is she uh not? well maybe originally oh my this is this yes. is i'm i'm realizing this as we're talking and this is live. why i wanted to talk about it so i'm watching this video on the lrt this morning oh, wow and it's going in and out because we're, you know, we're obviously going through tunnels. But scroll up on this picture. The thing about this that boggled my mind, she's putting herself at the top between evidence and social media. Yeah. And then her her name, Dana Metcalf. So she's as trustworthy as evidence and social media. I just, I watched the video and it was a long video. She's, I will give her this. She's well-spoken. But I mean, some of the things she was saying about, you know, billions of strands of DNA being implanted in us and stuff. I was just watching this on the train this morning and I was like, I'm pretty sure she's running for 
uh, the PPC or whatever. Mm. So, uh, yeah, this is just crazy. They're going to go and, and sit in police stations and, and uh, this is kind I of, don't know what they're hoping to get out of this. The, well, well, I mean, occupying police stations, um, like Elizabeth in the chat says, like, are police stations? You're going to be doing military exercises? Like, what? She goes, are you feeling okay? Mm. Uh, yeah, James says, Randy Hillier is still around. I mean, not exactly, but yeah, still, in a way. Uh, check out convoywatch.ca, and you can read all of what, what Luke's done on it. Yeah. Um, I used to work charity events with Dana Metcalf. I didn't realize this was her until like literally as we're talking here right That's... now. And I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm, I, she's, I mean, hey, listen. So this, I'll just say this, kind of on the on the spot here. Um, this is just another example, um, and there are many examples of people, and it's a fair word to use. Uh, some may take issue with it, but people that have become radicalized over the years and. Um, I'm not going to speak too much to Dana in particular, except to say that uh, when I last spoke with her 10 years ago, you know, you said that picture and you, sh you said, show the picture. And all of a sudden I'm looking at her going, is that who I think it is? Mm -hmm. um, she she was radically normal. She's she's outspoken. She always has strong opinions. She's intelligent. I'm, I'm not her best friend, so I'm not I'm not going to provide insight into her character and all that. But I will say I've, I, I have participated in charitable fundraising with her approximately 10 years ago. I haven't spoken with her since. Uh, but but here they are talking about, you know, implants and all kinds of microchip stuff and the, and the, the, the real stuff that would come across as quite wackadoodle. Um, but but I want to also reiterate that this show will never take a position uh, that is simply mocking and dismissive of this type of stuff without putting due thought into consideration around how do people get to this point? What are the implications? Uh, what are the threats on general society? What are the takeaways? Where does our focus need to be? Um, the timing of this all is very interesting as well, isn't it? As, as we're talking, you know, I'll give you a, a bit of a clue, and I'm not wrapping the show yet, Johnny, but, but you know, yeah. if you're listening to this on January 24th when we're doing it, tonight... Tucker Carlson is speaking in Edmonton to a big crowd uh, at Rogers Place, like where the Oilers play. Um, I'm going to be there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at uh, Ryan Jesperson. I'll be sending out some of my thoughts through it. And on Thursdays, on the January 25th episode of Real Talk, I'll be giving you uh, sort of a, a synopsis of what went down. Uh, some of the, I think I can say this safely, more outrageous things that were said from the stage and the implications of that. But, but a lot of the crazy has gone mainstream uh, in the sense that it's people in your orbit. Uh, it's people that you know, people that you probably care about or have cared about in past. Um, and there are still wounds mm -hmm. that are open, in some cases wounds that are festering uh, with people's personal relationships, families that have been impacted uh, perhaps forever as a result of the pandemic mm -hmm. and the convoy and these occupations mm -hmm. and the save the children stuff and, and everything else and we you know we take a look at what david parker is doing at take back alberta and we take a look at some of these you know special interest groups uh, that i don't think any longer uh, can be simply written off as the lunatic fringe because the ramifications of groups of people feeling this way and taking actions on their feelings is becoming relevant to everybody. Mm -hmm, 100%. I just looked it up. So I'm not sure if the PPC is even a thing anymore in St. John's, but she did try to run in 2021, and she's actually going back into court. She's Here it is for harassing the premier. She's going to be back. Premier of I had no idea. Newfoundland. This is, this she'll is, uh, be, she'll be flying uh, under my radar. Representing herself. You know, I'm going to reach out. I'll see if she'll do charges, the show. I'm going to so. reach out to her and see if she'll do the show. Yeah. I think we're probably still connected on social media. Um, 
That'll be interesting. wild, right? I think that that's that is why, especially it's, it's it's hitting close to home for me. You're probably hearing the wheels in my brain working as I'm sort of putting this all together. Um, you know, James says people I went to university with who were completely normal are now way off the deep end. I also think, you know, they would probably say to you, James, and to me, what what is normal? You know, they, they feel like we're hook, line, and sinker. They feel like we're the sheep, you know, the sheeple, right? They, 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 you know, they feel like we're the ones that are being fooled and that are, that are being manipulated. Yeah. Um, I'm see- over this convoy stuff. I mean, I, just, I, I see everyone thinking it's a win, but, like, I still think back to this, and I still have the same opinion that if these were indigenous people protesting, if these were climate activists, if these were animal activists, if these were any people from the from the left or what what conservatives would call fringe left, that they, they wouldn't have gone on that long. So the fact that it went on that long it, it should be a good thing for them because they got they got the exposure. But like the fact that the judge even said, "Hey." Yes, if you go to the definition of the law, it, they didn't do it properly. The government, you know, overstepped some boundaries. But at the same time, I would have done the same thing because well, I would have been scared to death as well. Right? And, re- and, and remember how interesting, wasn't it, when Jason Kenney uh, was elected premier of Alberta? And, and what was his first order of business? Kenney's first order of business was Bill 1. You know, Bill 1, it doesn't get get any more out of the gates than that. And that was the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act. Do you remember that? Um, that, that? That opponents said violated Albertans' rights to protest on public property. But, but it was Kenney's signal. Um, let's be honest. I mean, this is a, this is obvious. Uh, it was Kenny's signal to the oil and gas community and to oil and gas investors uh, and to people who had freight traveling on uh, railroads and otherwise that he wasn't going to stand for the bullshit anymore. Uh, Jason Kenny, under his watch, was not going to have railroads blockaded uh, by indigenous people or other people in the province. He was not going to have people chaining themselves. We don't have as much old growth as BC does, but chaining themselves to trees or, or, you know, doing what they could to vandalize oil derricks or or whatever you have, pump jacks. Uh, That was Jason Kenney's move. And then all of a sudden, the people that were standing in the way of critical infrastructure were Jason Kenney's supporters. And it got really messy for him, didn't it? I mean, look at this. The Globe and Mail's reporting on Pierre Polyev's response to Justice Mosley's ruling this week. Uh, like Luke LeBron said, obviously, uh, Polyev's going to make political hay out of this. What kind of a politician would he be if he didn't? Uh, but he says that it confirms the ruling, does, that Justin Trudeau's government broke the highest law in the land by invoking the Emergencies Act. He says a Polyev government will ensure the Emergencies Act can never be used again to silence political opposition. Let's see how he feels when 3,000 environmentalists That's converge exactly on Ottawa. What I, exactly what I was thinking. And set up their tents, yeah. you know, and start burning incense and start stopping yeah. normal it's, traffic it's, movement in the nation's capital again. Start throwing cans of soup on uh, art per art oh, in museums. like Gluing themselves to the floor. Yeah. And, and if this was happening and those people were out there in droves, thousands of people, it would have been shut down so fast. And there would have been people all over online. I mean, it was happening to them too at the convoy, but just making fun of them and saying this is a waste of time and get the police out there and blah, blah, blah. And I'm still under this opinion that it went on long enough. They, they It's not like the Emergencies Act was like, they're out there, let's shut it down day one. This was This went on a long time, Ryan. Yeah, Um, I see some people here in the live chat asking where I'm sitting at Tucker Carlson. I'm not going to release that information, but I'll tell you what, if you see me on the concourse, uh, come up and say hi. And uh, if you're a real talker,
Walker. What should our code word be? Uh, our code word will be freezing bros. Freeze. I don't know. Say one of our how sponsors. About, how, names. How, about, how about if you walk up to me this evening at Tucker Carlson and say hashtag Real Talk RJ? There you go. Uh, as long as there's not a big lineup, I'll buy you a beer. How about that? How about that? That's is it official. This evening? That's a, it's this evening. Wait, he's so, in, in Calgary too, right? Uh, he was in Calgary yesterday. Yeah, uh, I, didn't, I didn't even know there was a lunch double in show. Calgary. There wasn't a ton of buzz on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least mainstream. Obviously, a lot of news was happening yesterday yeah. too, and our focus was primarily on on what was going down at Edmonton City Hall. Um, so, yeah, that I, I also I'll tell you a little bit about what's coming up on tomorrow's show in just a quick second. But let me remind you about something that's happening uh, with our friends at Freezing Brothers. There you go. Speaking of the devil, Attaboy Johnny. Uh, they're presenting the future of Alberta food. Uh, this is coming up on February 24th, but you're going to want to get your tickets ahead of time. They're uh, presenting this in conjunction with Nate. It's an exciting culinary challenge that encompasses six teams of Alberta food professionals. These are the up-and-comers. These are the, the brilliant creators of today and tomorrow. Butchery, baking, culinary expertise, hospitality, creativity as well. Focusing on really great food, the six teams will apply traditional skills featuring high-quality Alberta pro proteins, veggies, uh, to produce exceptional original dishes made from scratch. Now, here's the deal. You can be there to try these 24 delicious dishes in a stand-up reception. It goes February 24th in the evening, 6 p.m. at Ernest's Dining Room at Nate. You can find out more information and get your tickets. It will sell out. Get your tickets at Friesen.com slash challenge. Uh, we also wanted to mention our friends at Complete Care Restoration. Uh, this time of year, they're, they're, they're busier than they like. I mean, they, they say straight up. Obviously, uh, they hate it when people have to call them. They would much rather nobody deal with flooding and fire and black mold and asbestos and all that nightmare stuff. But when it does happen, they are the only ones that are providing the most comprehensive care with complete peace of mind, the only ones that have earned our two thumbs up, and we say it with confidence, not because we're in a business partnership with them, but because they built our studio and we have seen them in action. Absolute professionalism. From emergency mitigation to detailed reconstruction, Complete Care Restoration handles every aspect with utmost care and dedication. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. Carolyn is uh, leaving a comment in the chat saying that she, she still has mixed feelings when she sees a vehicle flying a Canadian flag. I was yeah. thinking about this the other week, and to be honest, because I saw one, mm-hmm. and, and I pulled up beside the person, and, and you never know, but I just kind of quickly glanced over, and the person appeared to just be having a nice day. They were driving with a nice smile on their face. Now, were oh, they a great. convoy supporter? Maybe. But I wanted to believe that they were flying that flag for another reason, and it hit me at that moment that I think I have returned Back to normal. I've returned mm-hmm. back to that point where I can see the Canadian flag yeah. and feel good about it again. It's so weird because you used to see the Canadian flag stickers on bumpers and you never thought of that. You were no, just like, hey, never, proud, proud Canadian there. Never. And now you think, I wonder if I pull up beside them if yes. they're wearing white Oakleys and smoking a dart. You wonder, <laughs> friend or foe? <laughs> Coming up on Thursday's Real Talk, as mentioned, out of the gates, I'm going to tell you what I thought about Tucker Carlson's appearance in Edmonton. I'm going to give you a summary of Premier Daniel Smith's performance with him. We'll talk about the subjects discussed, the takeaway, and basically the need to know. Plus, what is going on with the Alberta Junior Hockey League? Have you heard this? Five teams are leaving. They're now suspended. And who's getting screwed the most? The players. We're going to talk to... Dustin Nielsen on Thursday's Real Talk.
Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.